hey, this is Ed. So this is a podcast, is that right? This is. Okay. We're officially podcasting right now. That's awesome. This is Straight from the Cutter's Mouth. Welcome to Straight from the Cutter's Mouth, a retina podcast. At least once a week, we aim to bring you insights and perspectives from the world of vitreoretinal surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Schreeder. Today on episode 245, we focus on the topic of physician wellness. This has become a very important topic to discuss in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Dr. Farina Ali and Dr. Andrew Schimmel, to discuss wellness in the context of COVID-19. How do physicians, not just ophthalmologists, adjust to their roles in the new world we've been thrust into? How do ophthalmologists resolve maybe some of the feelings of guilt or closing their practice or feeling of inaction while they see their colleagues on the front lines? How do ophthalmologists who are forced to the front lines cope with that sort of change and the unexpected nature of the world we live in? We review that and more in this episode. Um, importantly, the Bitbuckle Society will have a part three coming up on July 29th to their online series. Dr. Schimmel will be giving his wellness portion during that and we will have more information and a link to register as we get more information in the coming weeks. Remember, you can claim CME credits for this podcast episode and many other podcast episodes by clicking on the link in the episode description. That will take you to the American Academy of Ophthalmology website. And none of the contributors to this episode had any relevant financial disclosures. Straight from the Cutter's Mouth is now happy to be joined by two retina specialists for this discussion uh, physician wellness and burnout in the context of COVID-19. Uh, first in alphabetical order from Dallas, Texas, Dr. Farina Ali. Uh, Farina, thanks for joining us. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. And next uh, in his first appearance on the program, Dr. Andrew Schimmel, uh, who's in practice here in Miami, Florida. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Jay, for having us. I'm happy to be here. So this was inspired. Um, both of you actually both reached out to me independently. Andrew, uh, who is Head of Wellness for the Bitbuckle Society, and actually you're doing a, going to be doing a session. We'll talk, uh, put a plug in at the end uh, at the third online uh, Bitbuckle Society online meeting, which will be in July, about wellness. Um, said you know, maybe this is something we should talk about given the impact COVID-19 has had on physician mental health. And then Farina forwarded me this article from JAMA that will inspire our conversation today. So this article is called Prioritizing Physician Mental Health as COVID-19 Marches On by Jennifer Abbasi. Uh, this was published May 20th, 2020 in JAMA, um, JAMA JAMA, not JAMA Ophthalmology. And just to summarize, it was talking a little bit uh, with Dr. Um, Eileen Barrett, who has been um, in head of University of New Mexico's Graduate Medical Education Wellness Initiatives and talking about how to kind of take the lessons she's learned in other situations, for example, spending time in Sierra Leone dealing with Ebola patients how do you kind of translate that into what physicians are going to experience throughout medical fields in the aftermath of COVID-19, that we're still very much within COVID-19's pandemic, but during and after COVID-19. Um, so Farina, since you sent the article, why don't you just tell me, what were your kind of impressions reading this um, for listeners who may not have read it or may go on to read it? Um, why, why did you think it was so important to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think that for sure, as we're deep in taking care of patients and figuring out practice flow and all of the very logistical aspects. There's a lot that's sort of happening under the surface that we may be seeing the effects of now, but we'll surely see the effects of later in terms of mental health well-being for physicians that are facing significant pressures in terms of, you know, worry about a disease, but also worry about making sure their practice stays afloat, worrying about making sure that they can pay their staff 
sort of at the moment, but all of that can certainly compound over time. I think we're also looking at sort of an unprecedented environment, which is the parallel that she um, describes with with Ebola in the sense that there's a high degree of uncertainty. Um, And, you know, as time goes on, you know, in real time, we don't really know what to expect going forward. We don't know about different waves of illness. We don't know about regional changes and all of that stuff. Um, So I thought this was a nice um, perspective um, to, you know, sort of think about. I think one area that comes up a lot in these articles on um, wellness around COVID is that we're also talking about physicians that are facing a higher degree of burnout than sort of ever before um, as kind of like a double whammy kind of thing, which is how, you know, some, some of the experts at, you know, at HMS have described it. So I think that there's, you know, a lot to kind of think about and unpack around this. And this is a nice introduction to that. Well, Andrew, let's, let's bring you in because Farina kind of tied that nicely into this idea of burnout. Dr. Barrett in this article talked about the idea Physicians were already experiencing huge amounts of burnout. I mean, you you had planned this wellness session for Bitbuckle well before COVID-19. And then, you know, a lot of the issues have become magnified in the context of the pandemic. And one of the things I talk about, there's different reasons that burnout has increased in medicine. We've talked about with other guests on the podcast about this. But she talks about that there's kind of this increased aspect of maybe isolation and loneliness and professional loneliness. And even though telemedicine has a lot of benefits is maybe it doesn't offer the same satisfaction to a certain uh, percentage of physicians and spending less time with your colleagues face to face, maybe kind of losing your identity a little bit as a physician, just like many people have who have had to change kind of the way they view their jobs or what they do on a daily basis. I mean, how do you react um, when you kind of talk to colleagues, or you think about wellness, how do you kind of, for example, restructured the way you want to, to teach wellness when you run wellness sessions in the future? Absolutely, Jay. So you're, you're hitting on some critical points there. Um, I think this article that we're reading really brings up loneliness. And one of the problems uh, with physicians burning out is related to loneliness. So, you know, there's a lot of good data out there uh, that sort of addresses this. And, and one of my favorite studies they ever did uh, in psychology the Harvard Happiness Study, which was started in 1938, kind of showed us that our relationships and how happy we are in them has really the most powerful influence in our health and well-being. And and what the study did was it followed uh, 724 men and now women uh, over a long, long period of time. And really, they looked to see what were factors in happiness throughout their life. And, and obviously, I'm going to bring this back to medicine in a minute. But People who were more socially connected to family and friends and community were, number one, happier, number two, physically healthier, and number three, live longer. And and really, you know, this is the best longitudinal study there has been and ever will be. Um, And, you know, the truth is that we can really feel lonely even in a crowd of people. I mean, as physicians, we're surrounded by our techs, we're surrounded by our scribes and our patients. And if we don't really communicate and, and, you know, join minds with these people, uh, we do begin to feel lonely. And, and one of the best things that I've found that, that we can all do is sort of find another person in your position, another retina specialist, or even just another physician, and really pick them as your person, um, especially during a time like this in coronavirus when we're so stressed out and we come home to our families and, you know, it, they're going through plenty too. They don't want to hear your stresses. Really open up to to a person in your life, ideally a physician friend, uh, and make them your person to to run your issues off them, to basically have almost a therapy session. I mean, I'm sure that 
that all of your physician friends are looking for their person uh, to to bounce thoughts, you know, reasons that they're down, reasons that they're having trouble, uh, worries that they're having off each other. And, and I think that we find that if we really talk about these things, especially with another person who's going through something similar, that you realize that, you know, things may not be as bad as, as you imagine, uh, that we're all kind of going through this together. You know, this is our moment. This is our war. And, and really, there's a lot of support systems out there who are looking for other support systems. And, it, and it's a time that we should, you know, reverse this loneliness. We need to be together on this as physicians. Uh, we really need to, to work together. And, and, you know, telemedicine can be a lonely uh, thing, a lonely aspect uh, in, in our lives. But it really, we need to, you know, communicate better with our patients and our, and our colleagues to uh, share our issues. Those are all great points, Andrew. And, and you referenced the idea of quote-unquote war, and people have compared fighting a pandemic to sort of war. And I think that one of the things that's interesting is sort of PTSD is something that's described well-described now, unfortunately, for people coming back from military mm -hmm. sort of uh, ventures. But now we may see pandemic sort of PTSD. And Dr. Barrett talked about, you know, the, the fear of fearing for your own life as a health provider is not a fear that we generally feel you know i think we all implicitly understand that there's some risk in being a doctor in terms of exposure but not to the degree that with with ebola in the previous instance now COVID 19 and that can you don't want to feel that because there's so many things that come from the military literature that can be applied the idea of survivor's guilt if you're not the one who's mm -hmm. on the front lines or if you feel like you're not doing enough um feeling like you know, the PTSD from having patients die. We've had examples of physicians or nurses in various countries who have committed suicide, for example. Our mm -hmm. training in some ways, Andrew, doesn't prepare us for these things. And again, I'll, I'll throw it back to Farina. These are kind of unique experiences for doctors in developed countries such as the United States. And so mm -hmm. as a field, right, how do we kind of prepare and how do, how do we kind of prepare the next generation, right? So we have a whole generation of interns and residents and fourth year medical students who are pulled from their rotations but are in a starting internship. They're going to have all these fears. Maybe we want to help the people who are out, but we also have to kind of think this is a generation, their whole way of kind of looking at medicine may be completely impacted and influenced based on their experiences during the last few months. Um, so, so how do we kind of translate that into helping people? Because I think survivor's guilt, I mean, in ophthalmology, again, most of us were not on the front lines, though there was a very high degree of exposure to eye professionals that was shown given the proximity of our exams. Mm -hmm. But I do think, I, I'll, for example, right. I, I felt guilty at times during the pandemic. I felt like, you know, I'm, I have my sister who's in New York and she's working in the hospital and I'm here, you know, seeing limited patients who are urgent or doing surgeries, but I'm not necessarily doing the same thing as some of my colleagues. So how do we kind of resolve those issues, um, both people who are on the front lines and the, the ones of us who are kind of in other fields where we're not doing inpatient work? Right. I mean, it's incredibly challenging and really, uh, really unique. And I think, you know, to comment on, on a few things you mentioned before, which is, you know, they're in a, in a setting where, you know, you can be worried about your health and yourself contracting the disease and, and things like that, which, you know, physicians may experience in different settings based on the field that they're in. I think for me, one really unique aspect of this um, pandemic has been, you know, the stress around, um, you know, being an asymptomatic sort of carrier of and shedding the virus to patients in high volume in a clinic where the patients are, 
you know, 30, 40 years older than I am with much different um, kind of health profiles and comorbidities. And for me, that I think in the early stages of kind of not knowing what was going on, but that there's this potential that young people can do very well, not really so much to worry about, older folks less so, but that, you know, there can be a shedding period of 21 days. And if you are otherwise, well, you may not even know it. And for me, that was very stressful being in clinic, getting very close to the patients that I see coming, you know, literally, you know, being dropped off from a van from their, you know, healthcare facility that they're living at, in which they're interacting with, you know, they're like a nexus point for many, many, many other patients who may not, who may be less well than they are. So I think that is a stress that I think we in our field face, you know, based on the volume of patients that we're seeing, how close we're getting to the patients, and otherwise the fact that, you know, many of us are, you know, young, healthy, and, and you know, would otherwise be more resilient. I mean, I think that in terms of the question of, you know, folks coming through the training, medical training right now, I think one thing that I've seen over and over emphasized in terms of, you know, understanding what's happening and what your place is, um, is this idea of kind of remembering why you went into the field to begin with. And I feel like that is often underscored. Um, It can be a hard thing to kind of realize and, and wrap your mind around, but I do think that that can bring people back to what it is that they're doing. Um, And so, yeah, many of us may be specialists in different fields of medicine that may be called to do different things. But I think at some point there was the experience of, you know, taking care of patients in all parts of the hospital and trying to understand all the things that you could possibly understand as a medical student or an intern. Um, And I think trying to remember those experiences can be helpful. But that being said, I, I think it's hard to truly understand or come up with a, you know, very obvious solution for how the doctors undergoing training right now can kind of move forward from this experience in a way that readily makes sense. I think that that's going to take some time. Uh, the, the only thing I would ask, Andrew, in addition to your thoughts on that would be, what do we, like, what about the the components where people had time on their hands to kind of reevaluate their happiness, right? So like, I've heard that as well from both older and younger doctors being like, well, I was forced, I was kind of in this rat race where I was doing these things and doing them and doing them and doing them. And all of a sudden everything came to a halt. And now I'm kind of reevaluating my life and my career and my job and these things, mm-hmm. you know, I'm reevaluating my job stability. There've been doctors who don't have the same job stability as what you would think in medicine. I think that it's a good thing in some ways from a wellness perspective to kind of have introspection and have time to introspect. Um, but I'm curious how many people kind of looked at their lives and were like, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily what I want to do. And I'm not just talking about ophthalmology. I'm talking mm-hmm. about all of medicine. Right. So, so a lot of amazing points there. I'm going to try to hit them one at a time briefly uh, to the time. But, you know, in the military, everyone has a role. And if we're talking about a war, which is this, this is sort of our role, you know, our, our, our moment, you know, no one else can do what you do. So, you know, when you get worried and sad that you're not working in the ER, I mean, in the military, the medic doesn't run out at the enemy with, with a gun firing because he has a responsibility to take care of the, the people who get, you know, shot or hurt or, or whatever else happens to them in the field. And I think we all need to take a step back for a second and realize that we do something incredibly well, right? So we keep patients seeing. And these patients rely on us 
to keep them seeing. They're, you know, I've gotten more thank yous for giving a basic intravitreal injection, uh, you know, which is routine for all of us. But guess what? They need us there. And without getting their injection, they're going to go blind. And we're all stepping up and putting on our gear and, and doing the right thing. And I need to just, you know, say that doing the right thing at this moment is so important. You know, this is the moment you're, you're going to look back here and, and when this is all gone and hopefully in a couple of years, you know, this will all be passed and we'll look back and we'll live long and happy and healthy lives. And you're going to look back and you're going to remember the things you did. You know, did you pack your waiting room full of people just because you wanted to give an extra five injections and make a couple extra hundred dollars? Or did you space these patients? Did you wear the right gear to protect them? Did you, you know, did you do the right thing for, for all these patients? And, and truthfully, that's going to, you know, keep you happy at night. When you look back and when you understand that, that you're doing the right thing, you're going to the clinic, you're keeping your patients seeing well, you're doing everything you can for them, and you're keeping them as safe as you possibly can. So, you know, where there are problems is, you know, let's say one of your patients does get sick. Well, you're probably going to ask yourself, well, did I do the right thing in that situation? And if you did you should be able to reassure yourself again, you know, talk to your friends and colleagues and, and make sure you communicate with, with each other. And if you realize that there was nothing else you could have done, that you did everything appropriately, it's just like treating patients for any disease, uh, you know, you will feel more comfortable with the situation. If you did the wrong thing, if you really, you know, squeezed them in or didn't wear your mask because you were uncomfortable or whatever it is, you know, then you might have problems. Um, and what you're saying, Jay, is critical, too. I mean, this is a moment to sort of look at our lives and find meaning and purpose. And, you know, we should ask ourselves four questions. You know, who am I? What do I want? What's my purpose? And, and what am I grateful for here? Um, and, you know, if you went into medicine for, for some of the wrong reasons, you know, it, it might be a reasonable thing to switch. But I think, you know, we have the greatest profession that there is in the world. I mean, we're able to go to work each day and, and make enough money that, that our families are comfortable and, and we're able to help people. Um, and so I think we all need to take a step back and, and realize that and be grateful for it. I mean, I've never been so grateful uh, for the fact that I can go to work and, and I, I'm very excited about uh, the future when I can go back to normal work. I think uh, I will be so grateful to be in the position I'm in and you know, if someone's not in the right position, they should they should think about that and, and decide what they want to do. And Farina, I'm going to get your thoughts. Andrew, you made some really, really good points there. I love the military example. I'll give you just a personal anecdote. I mean, I'll be very, I said I was feeling guilty. I mean, there were times I felt guilty for all the downtime. You know, there wasn't much to do except, you know, do some reading, you know, exercise maybe more than I should and probably as much as I probably should do normally. Sleep is probably a better amount and more than I do normally. And Part of the way I kept myself mentally healthy from the guilt was saying, well, I just need to be ready, right? Because we didn't know, and we still don't know, there are colleagues of ours who are who were called to the front lines, right? So, you know, doing your part to be ready, and part of that involves staying healthy and staying active and kind of being ready to help people. You talked about being ready to help people proceed. That's what we do on a daily basis. But even in the worst case scenario, being ready to be a, a helping body and and it's almost like being on reserve in a sense and just understanding that your time may come and you just need to be ready for it. And the worst thing you can do is even though it'd be a normal reaction is to sort of wallow in it and, and not kind of 
accept the fact that, hey, even though I'm used to doing this much, right now I need to do this much because I may be asked to do more than I'm used to in the future. Um, for you know, any, any other thoughts on the subject of the, the adjustments to the pandemic and kind of the idea of um, of reevaluating your happiness? Yeah, I mean, I think I think those are really great points. I, in terms of you know what you were talking about, which uh, with you know being ready, ideally, you know, there, you know, we can kind of gain an awareness that these are things we should be doing, so that we're always kind of you know ready and not burnt out and or uh, mitigating that as much as possible. So you know, in an ideal world, these habits sort of live on, um, you know, past just this time. And I think that there is an opportunity for it to be imprinted now, particularly for, you know, folks like us in ophthalmology, where we may be, you know, quote, ready, but may never be called to the front lines, but our volume may be less. And so we do have, um, you know, that cushion right now to revamp kind of our lives and our practices and maintain relationships and all of that. I mean, I think the, the, the idea of um, reevaluating kind of the career path you've taken and what sort of meaning you want to have in your career is, I mean, is really kind of a luxury to have the opportunity to think about those things now. Um, and I, and it's always important, you know, pandemic or not, in, in my opinion, I'm obviously very early in my career, but I think it's always worthwhile to think, is this kind of what I want to be doing and how I wanted to be doing it. And does it feel as impactful as I was hoping it could be? We don't always have control over, um, you know, the logistics of being a doctor sometimes, but I think we always do have an opportunity to pivot towards a satisfying career. Um, and so it's always worthwhile to think about that. And I think our field may have a bit more luxury to do that now than some others. So let's kind of end on a, on a positive note. And, and I think we've, we've talked about some positive things, but a lot of this is kind of talking about the after effects of the pandemic. We've talked about, Andrew, you gave some great ideas about how to manage this, speaking to colleagues, staying communicative. How about moving forward and adjusting to a new normal, right? So Andrew, you referenced that this may take a year or two and most experts predicting this isn't gonna automatically return to normal. We're going to be very masked in clinic. Our big conferences and meetings, if they're not held, they may not be held. And if they're held, they may be very different. We're not seeing our colleagues as often in person. Our patient interactions are a little different than they were before. You're not seeing people's smiles. You're not seeing certain things that maybe add to your happiness as a physician. What would you advise now going forward? Let's say we're out of a window where we're as hopefully as nervous, but we're still doing all these cautions. What are sort of your recommendations in terms of maintaining happiness and wellness going forward in the next you know, two to three years uh, and looking forward to kind of find those things in your career that make you happy? Um, so, you know, exactly. I mean, this is not ending tomorrow and, and I certainly have taken a lot of great things from this. I mean, one thing that I've discovered and, and, you know, I was thinking about it prior to all this is, you know, all of a sudden my income this year is going to about, you know, one fifth of what it was last year. And the reality is I've figured it out and I'm going to be okay. And, you know, what it tells me is that, rather than keeping my head down and working as hard as I can to make as much money as I possibly can every year, you know, I can survive on less. And the reality is I should be planning more vacations with my family. I should be giving myself more free time. I should be exercising more. I should, 
you know, be less stressed about money and more interested in experiences in life uh, moving forward. And I think, you know, just realizing that we're going to be okay and, and you can survive on less really gives you a promising look at the future. I mean, you can do the things that you want to do. You don't have to wait for retirement to take a week or two off and, and go on vacation. Obviously, it's not this very moment, um, but, you know, you can do the things you want to do. I mean, you can choose uh, to be happy and, and uh, move forward in, in a, a great way. I mean, I certainly have learned several things from this. One thing is I appreciate my wife uh, even more. Uh, I'm stuck home with the kids a couple days a week now, and, and guess what? It's not an easy job. Uh, I have a much greater appreciation for what she does on a daily basis. I always, you know, sort of to myself wondered a little bit, you know, what was going on all day. But now I know it's it's not easy to have uh, young <laughs> kids at home. And, and uh, you know, she works very hard, very hard, probably harder than I do. I get to go to work and have a break. So I appreciate her more. I appreciate, you know, the fact that I don't need to keep my head down and work seven days a week and, and at all times to make as much every single dollar. And, and I can, you know, take a step back, back hopefully when this is over and, and take more vacations and enjoy things more. I love it. Your wife hopefully is listening. Farida, any last thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say one, uh, one additional thing and to piggyback off the idea that we can be okay, you know, not packing our, our waiting rooms. I think the, you know, the visits now are meant to be short in terms of exposure and risk and all of that stuff. But I think the other thing that it tells me is that, you know, there is an opportunity to see, you know, obviously less patients and spend more once, you know, the risks mitigate, there is an opportunity to see less and spend more time with the patients. And I have felt that the patients are more appreciative around not feeling like it's, you know, it's just like a packed waiting room and everyone's going in, going to imaging, going there, getting their injection and leaving. I think that there is a taste for, well, it can be a little less hectic and I can spend more time with the patient. And I, I think that, um, we're, you know, that's been by necessity now, but I think it, it highlights an opportunity for that once things are a little less stressful with the virus. Uh, I just want to say one, one, one last thing about uncertainty and, and the fear of what's coming. I mean, that, that was a major point in this article. And, you know, what's surprising, there's a lot of research. I don't want to get into to the nitty-gritty, but um, really the differences between, you know, um, good and bad events in our life seem huge when we look at them in the future, uh, when we think about them in the future, but actually they're much smaller. And there's a lot of data that really says that, you know, even going through a terrible thing, uh, we're going to end up being being okay. Uh, the negative events that we anticipate are going to cause our life to be a disaster really don't turn out that way. And, and they're not even nearly as different from positive events. And, um, you know, we're all going to be okay. And again, if, if you get to a point, if anyone out there gets to a point where you know, they need help, uh, call anyone, call me, call Jay, you know, wh whatever it is. I mean, there's someone out there who can help you. Um, and, you know, if you feel helpless, it's one of the stages of grief. I mean, we're all going through grief. We feel victimized, angry, frustrated, helpless. And, you know, we have to support each other through these stages because ultimately we have to get to acceptance and we have to appreciate our lives at this moment. Uh, this is, you know, part of our lives and we have to really, you know, enjoy it as much as we can. So take care of yourselves and, and, you know, 
if I can help or any of your colleagues can help in any way, I'm sure they're happy to do so. I love it. And uh, again, we'll keep you posted and we'll advertise the VBS third session will be July. I think it's July 29th, Andrew, and you'll, you'll be doing a wellness session then um, kind of tying it into COVID-19. So a lot of these concepts and a little more will be discussed then. Um, Farina and Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for talking about a very difficult subject, a subject that we don't talk about often enough in medicine. And hopefully one of the ripple effects is maybe, as you said, Andrew, we talk about it more and as appropriately as we should uh, now that we it's been brought to light. Um, guys, thank you so much for your time and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Jay, Thanks thank so, much, so much, Jay. As always, you can find this episode and all prior episodes on our website, retinapodcast.com. That's R-E-T-I-N-A podcast.com. All 245 episodes, including this one, can be found there sorted by category. In addition, you will see links to subscribe so you can get updates on the most recent episodes that they release. Those updates will arrive in your email inbox. I prefer to subscribe using my mobile device. I go to the Apple Podcast app on my iPhone. You can use an Android podcast app similarly on an Android device. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Retina Podcast. And if you ever need to contact us, episode ideas, feedback, anything we can do, please email us at retinapodcast.gmail.com. We really appreciate the feedback we get and the ideas for episodes. And we also appreciate anyone who leaves a review in the Apple Store, on Apple Podcasts, or Android Podcasts. Very, very helpful to us going forward. Many thanks to Dr. Ali and Dr. Schimmel for joining me for this very important topic. Thanks to Dr. Louis Kai, Dr. Angela Chang, and Dr. Mike Menencasa for the production and social media for this episode. Thank you, listeners, more than ever for what you do on a daily basis, the articles you read and publish, the conversations you inspire here each week, and the patients you take care of on a daily basis. This is Jay Schreeder signing off. feeling. This is straight from the <laughs>